Joseph, did you load that gun? You won't get hurt. Elijah was wrong. When did he meet Elijah? He was with me when I met him. No one believes him. Joseph, listen to me. Sometimes when people get sick or hurt for a long time, like Elijah, their mind gets hurt too. And they start to think things that aren't true. He told me what he thought about your father. It isn't true. I'll show you. Do you remember the story about the, about the boy that almost drowned in the pool? That was me they were talking about. I almost died. That was me. I'm not lying, okay? I just didn't remember it, that's Joseph, all. you know your father was injured in college. You know that. You know all about that. Don't do it. He'll die, Joseph. I'll just shoot him once. Joseph, listen to what your mother... Don't be scared. Joseph. You pick five numbers, okay. and then from uh, a bunch of, and I don't know what, we're, we're going to have to guess, I think it's between 1 and 59, I'm guessing. You don't know what the range is? It's, okay, is, it, is a Powerball a federal thing, or is it a state thing? Okay, I'm typing, how does Powerball work? Okay. This is all staying in, by the way. This is really compelling radio. This is good radio. Holy crap! I totally nailed it. First, you have to buy your ticket. Then the player must pick five numbers between one and fifty-nine. Hmm. Then one power. Then one number, which is the Powerball number, between one and thirty-five. When you buy your tickets, you can choose the numbers, or you can play the quick play pick. See, it's important to know that the Powerball number can't be more than thirty-five, though, right? Fifty-nine. Oh, thirty-five. Yeah. So are we going to pick Powerball numbers? Because I'll have to figure out real quick when the latest we can buy one is. Because the, the drawing's tonight. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. It's almost like great radio. Maybe I can call you back tonight if we win. That would be great. Aaron, you pick a number first. Um, I'm going to pick the number seven. <clears throat> seven. Wait, are we are we picking right now? Or are we going to pick when we're actually recording? Oh, we're recording. I'm we're, recording. Hold on, hold on a second. <laughs> Should we introduce our sponsor first? Uh, I, I guess I guess we could start. <laughs> could start by talking about what the hell we're doing. <laughs> uh, this is in the cut, and hello, I'm Jesse. I'm here with Aaron. Say hi, Aaron. Hello. And Aaron has been my co-host on every show so far, except I guess the first one is the exception to that. We're also joined for the first time by Nunk. Hello. Hey, Nunk. Uh, Nunk is an old friend of ours and a wellspring of arguments. To make it slightly more contentious and louder arguments. I feel like me and Aaron agree too much, and I just want to—I just want someone to get mad at. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we love we love Nunk dearly, of course, and we might actually agree on this one. I'm not sure. The movie we're going to be talking about today is Unbreakable. Uh, I really was going to look up how exactly to pronounce this director's name so I didn't make as much of an ass of myself as I made when we were talking about doing this movie and I couldn't figure out how to pronounce the director's name, but I failed at doing that. So we're just going to, I'm just going to call him M. Knight. You, I, I looked up how to pronounce his oh, name. Oh, will Ann. you get, share it, the knowledge with the whole class? No, wait, wait for Jesse to say it wrong a few times. Fuck. I, <laughs> maybe you could get him. <laughs> 
Unfortunately, Jesse, you're mispronouncing the middle name. It's Nicked. We already used that joke in the last no, episode. Um, Aaron, no. All right, we'll, <laughs> we'll work around that. Okay. Um, Aaron had it right. M. Night Shyamalan. You kind of muttered it a little bit. Can you enunciate? I think the muttering is part of the official pronunciation. <laughs> yeah. Three syllables? Uh, yeah, I think so. M. Night Shyamalan? Sham Shyamalan. It's S-H-Y, though, right? Well, now I'm on the spot. I'm not, not really uh, sure about it. But. Yeah, yeah. But, I, I, I mean, I'm on record, right? This is the episode... What fucking episode is this? 17, I think, at this point? And I have mispronounced every single director's name since episode <laughs> one. I guess episode one's probably an exception because it was Ridley Scott, and that was pretty easy. Unless I'm botching that, which, you know, no one has written in and told me okay. that it's actually Ridley or something, but... Are, are people calling you on on the fact that you slur when you're drunk? <laughs> that you're, you're not, no, I'm you're, calling you're myself. Quite... No one, no one actually, oh, okay. no one actually gives me any feedback on the show. I just I hear so much of my own stupid voice while I'm editing these that I just find oh. all the different things to. I take apart. it you're enjoying the editing process. You're not getting fed up with that yet. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll get really good at talking, and then I won't have to edit anymore. Mm-hmm. This has been tight. Yeah, we've. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're getting. We're about ready to wrap it up, don't you think? <laughs> Hold on, I'm gonna pour another drink. That always helps. <laughs> uh, I'm drinking uh, Pearl vodka, not a particularly nice vodka or anything, but. Uh, I figured since it's only about noon here, I, I should probably only drink vodka, so I don't seem like an alcoholic. Nunkwe, you were, you're, are you having beer? Yeah, I'm in PA, so I am drinking Yingling. Say the name of that again. Oh man, are you gonna <laughs> are you gonna lay into me on every pronunciation? No, I Yingling. just really didn't understand the word you said. I'm, I'm curious. Plus, I'm gonna lay into you on every pronunciation. Um, I, I I believe it's um America's oldest brewery. Nice. And that's what it says on the side of the can. Mm. People here, uh, they don't sell that here. There's like a no, no distribution. Um, and it's like a big deal if a bar gets a case. Like it's, people are it's really case excited of what? about What's it. the name of the beer? Someone tell me. Yingling. Yingling. Okay. Yeah. It's Y-U-E-N-G-L-I-N-G. Oof. That is a and, tough uh, one. <clears throat> and it, I, I used to only be able to get it in PA. And whenever I travel through, I'd always pick up a case. And now it's more or less it's expanded, and you can get it most places up and down the East Coast. But huh. I what's, guess it's what's, not in New Orleans. What's PA? Pastroika? Pastroika, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only sold in Pastroika. Mm-hmm. In Pennsylvania. Yeah, you can buy it, buy it in I'm, Georgia. <clears throat> okay. Okay. I'm in, I'm in Philadelphia. Okay. Because, because that's where the movie takes place, and part of the reason it's taken so long to get this off the air is I have to report live from the the city where the the setting of the, the movie right where the, where these events have gone down so i'm here now great aaron can you tell us what you're drinking um i'm drinking some warm white wine to go with this sweltering unpleasant <laughs> room aaron how do you choose wine um i get uh the big one that's two for fifteen dollars at the store at the street <laughs> So price is a major factor in your wine selection process. I just want two. <laughs> Quantity. <laughs> how else would you get two things of wine? 
Nunk, Nunk suggested this movie, the 2000... What year was Unbreakable in? Uh, 2000. 2000. I looked it up. The 2000 film Unbreakable uh, from M. Night. Go, Nunk. Shyamalan. Nice. <laughs> Uh, we've all watched the movie, and we're here to uh, get under the hood, I guess, a little bit. The format of the show we have is involves pretty much picking apart the details and storylines of the entire film. And so, even if you're not someone who cares a great deal about spoilers of a film, you still are going to want to watch the movie before joining us for the chat, because it's just not going to be that interesting unless it's relatively fresh in your mind. I try and help out with that, though. If you go to www.inthecut.org, you can see the site I've set up, which will also have links to different ways of watching this movie uh, online or getting the disc or any number of different ways. So uh, hit up the site, watch the movie, come back and join us, and uh, we'll get into spoiler territory probably pretty quick with this one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, so thanks for joining us And thank you guys for being here with me Yeah, thanks for having me I've been looking forward to this one Why are you looking at me like that? Your train derailed Some kind of malfunction They only found two people alive so far You and this man His skull was cracked open And most of his left side was crushed answer your question there are two reasons why I'm looking at you like this one because it seems in a few minutes that you will officially be the only survivor of this train wreck and two because you didn't break one bone you don't have a scratch on you one of the reasons I I wanted to do this was because it was a contentious movie I thought Hmm. for us that I saw it uh, with you in the theater and our immediate reactions were polar opposites I thought I really liked it you remember watching it the first time better than I remember watching it the first time I think I I, I didn't remember a ton of the movie and I remembered I pretty much didn't remember coming out of the theater and having a conversation with you about it but Aaron when was the first time you saw it probably right after it came out on video um, I didn't didn't see it in the theater, but uh, I think I, I definitely saw it before I heard anything about it, which uh, that seems pretty key. Works well for this one. Yeah, I think part of what what the appeal was for me was I had no idea what the movie was about when I went in to see it, and it. Yeah, I I knew nothing about it. Um, I don't think I don't even know that I knew that it was the same director as the Sixth Sense. Mm. Yeah, no, I was curious what your rewatch experience was. I I still enjoyed it, and I picked up things um, that I didn't, that I don't think I saw the first time around, and I've, I've watched it three times now, and I do get more out of it watching it again. I still like the movie. I still think it's a, a you know, it has its faults and it ha- and it falls flat in places, but for the most part, it's just a really well crafted movie. I think and a well-told story. And most of that, I think, is carried by the cinematography and the, the sound. The sound sound was great. I was definitely noticing that. Having a lot of trouble with the score. Um, yeah, that's funny, because I thought the cinematography and the sound were, were way too 
overshadowed the rest of the movie in an annoying way. Uh, mm. I guess not the sound so much as the score, which is what Aaron was starting to talk about. Uh, but let, I, I, I went into it really hating the score or within the first 20 minutes was hating it. And then late, later there was some... So he did some interesting things with the scoring um, that I might get into later. Um, okay. But I definitely agree that the craftsmanship of the movie did sort of overshadow the, you know, the fact the movie. <laughs> yeah. My, my enjoyment, my immersion in the movie. I mean, because he is such a, an amazing craftsman in a lot of ways. Um, you know, not, not just in terms of cinematography, but the way scenes are built, the... I think especially the use of color in this film, I think. What I noticed, and I don't think that the the, the score and the sound for me, um, I thought worked really well throughout and were, was never distracting or, or overtaking anything. But the cinematography at points did become like, and I think almost intentionally so, almost like in a lot of places, the, the camera is almost like a, a another character. I mean, it's it's moving around and sort of looking around like a, like like it's a, like it's a another character in the movie almost. Yeah, I was no one thing I noticed uh, this time was there's a lot he's shooting a lot from the view of a of a kid. It's you know yeah. the cameras it, that low camera. Um, totally. That I you know I didn't really think about it, but you know I, I think that that is you know pretty symbolically potent. Right. In part, you're seeing this character through the eyes of his son, and even when his son isn't there, you you know kind of. Seeing a superhero through the eyes of a child is a totally. That's definitely one of the the, the big things. And obviously, in that in that uh, train scene, in the not the opening scene, but the first scene with uh, our hero Dunn in it, it, uh, it there's there's a kid looking at him, and then that whole scene is shot from a kid, you know, looking and watching what he's watching what he's doing, and sort of almost being ashamed of what you know. Mm-hmm. Our, our hero what would be doing but in the opening scene before that the scene um, that is uh, of Elijah Wood being born or you know having just been born it sort of is like shot like there's an from the point of view of someone else in the room like looking at looking at the mother then looking over at the doctor then looking at the woman in the mirror then sort of turning to look at her for real so it seemed like I, I picked up that as well yeah, um, which works. Th- I think when he goes, he go- he goes to the first person thing a lot. Uh, in I think, and maybe in a lot of his movies, I um, when he's really trying to build tension, and I think it works really well. I actually really loved that opening scene. I mean, it reminded me of all the things he does really well. Um, you know, his sense of import and tension building, and uh, yeah, for sure. And and there were there were places where like all of that worked where he was building all this tension and it wasn't didn't seem like the the most important thing like you're just almost like you're just building all this tension for no because you can yeah i felt like he never stopped (laughs) you know that that tone just never stopped and it really by the end i just hated it and (laughs) it was uh for me though the just the feel of the movie just going through it and and um and the, the overall experience was just really well done, the whole thing. When I, I remember walking out of it, and the reveal for me, and I think the reveal at the end of that movie is uh, often criticized, 
the reveal for me was walking was happened after the movie was walking out, out of the movie and being like oh that was a superhero movie <laughs> like like it was a thematic like reveal like because the whole movie was telling a totally different story and it didn't feel like a super it was slow kind of depressing <laughs> you know like the story of this man's life that's falling apart and you know he's sort of building it back together and then then sort of at the end you're like oh wait that was a superhero movie so that was like the big M. Night Shyamalan twist for me mm-hmm. was that he was that he was telling a, a, a different story really there's a couple things I think about this one that that give you uh, something good to go back and revisit the earlier events with, and that's one of them for sure. I mean, that's that's kind of the um, it's and it's funny because Shaman wanted to market it more as a superhero movie than it was marketed. He was mad that the studio tried to make it a like tension horror like thriller movie the way just because the sixth sense obviously had been a big breakout movie for him and he had a lot of name recognition attached to that when i sorry when i say that um i I'll, it's I'm, it, the thematic change you know surprised me at the end i mean it start the opening credits basically it says talking about comic books right saying, here's how many comic books so it's obviously a movie about comic books and yet throughout the whole movie i completely forgot about that yeah. Right, and it's you know, and it's about it's about Elijah's obsession with comic books and that way of approaching the world and stuff too. So it didn't mm-hmm. it didn't completely give right. that away. Right. Man, I really hated whenever he talked about comic books. All those speeches were just so. I mean, it's kind of the flip side to the fact of I mean that his writing is so precise and there's really no no throwaway lines. There's no lines that don't have a very specific meaning. I, thought, I just felt like what, whenever he was talking about the comic books, he's like, "Here's here's a clue, <laughs> here's a thing." There's just no. It was it was pretty sense of him actually appreciating. Yeah, no, like, it's it was really didn't seem like it was a movie made by someone who actually loved comics. Right, like because they had that scene where he's talking about you know the art, you know how comics are art, and I you know su- that would be such a good scene to actually get some sense of appreciation of comics, and instead he's just like. This is art because you can tell the hero's bad because he has big hair. And I'm like, yes, you have big hair. Right. Yeah, there, 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 there was quite a bit of that. And especially at the end, he was sort of over the top. You know, he kept selling that message. You know, you know how you can tell who the villain is? They're, the, they're usually best friends, like you and me. The kids call me Mr. Glass. <laughs> Uh, and I I read I don't know that I, I read one review uh, today. The the most critical thing is that the people f- feel like the twist ending was sort of slapped on there. I think it's hard it's hard to read a review of this of this movie because all, every reviewer has the sixth sense fresh in their mind in the way that we now viewing it a decade later don't. Right. But I, I did have problems with the ending, but not with that part of it. Right. Like the the part that bothered me was the was the the way. Am I jumping too far? Into, are, are we done? Are we ready for the ending right now? <laughs> I I, th- I think it's totally fine to jump around. Okay. Oh no! Yeah, the Plot-wise. format. I, I don't think the format of this of what we're doing here necessitates okay. going through it scene by scene. I, I I don't like that. I would rather okay. talk about it. The, the one of the things that bothered me with the end wasn't the how the twist was delivered or whether it felt slapped on. I felt, I really, I liked the way that played and I liked the way it played with the, the story. 
But as he's walking out, the the titles that pop up. Fucking terrible. They're terrible. It felt so out of place, yeah. It really, really did, and really just, you know... I mean, I don't. I'm not sure. I know exactly how you want to end that movie. I don't think just you tell. Just, just say the exact same thing, but show it instead of tell it. Right? <laughs> like what? One fucking shot of the police, like cars pulling up outside of the place, and then one like uh, lingering sh- slow pull away shot of him in the asylum. Yeah, Done. or he, Done. Or just the don't. fucking movie's in the bag. And don't do I, that and just have that same scene and leave. Yeah, a little that would even be better. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to button it up, you could have buttoned it up exactly the way you did, but with the titles over the screen, it's like, here's what I thought he was trying to do, was trying to sort of tie it back to reality in the way that maybe a documentary would end with that where they are now type of thing. That I thought was meant maybe to ground it in reality a little bit more as a last little sting, but it just fucking fell flat. It just seems so terrible. It was bad, and I think I think you could read something into David Dunn's character with that. That that's the way he deals with you know that this is you know because the the ending is basically the titles are like David goes to the police and the police come back and arrest him and put him in a hospital for the criminally insane. Right. But for for me, a, I mean, I I I liked the Elijah character better, and I sort of you know his his fantasy finally come to reality. I sort of wanted the there's to be an epic battle <laughs> well i you know it re- it really felt like a a first act it didn't feel like that and i think it well i mean i think there was supposed to be a sequel right he wrote this well the funny thing about this movie that. is that he wrote it as a three-act story and then he hated the second and third act so he developed the first act into an entire movie oh okay, okay yeah it, it really does feel like it's ending on the end of the first act and the you know right. the epic battle is you know later when he breaks out of the whatever um asylum for the criminally insane mm-hmm. right <laughs> yeah i also uh, felt that half of the reason for those titles was that he just wanted to use that phrase right yeah that 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 could very well be but it felt if just take those away and it's a much better movie yeah yeah really like in, and in fact i remember the the only thing i remember about the first time i saw this movie is walking out feeling like that that the slow pull away shot following bruce willis as he walks away from elijah landed for me and i liked it uh-huh. and i completely had forgotten those stupid you know <laughs> captions right. at, over the screen at the end um which i think yeah, completely you... pulled the rug out from under the t- strength of the scene and i don't i don't know that you can end that movie that way that you can just you know reveal that he's done all these horrible atrocities and then just have bruce willis walk out and call that the end of the and have him say they call me Mr. Glass. You know, the kids call me Mr. Glass. Which is, well, which he was, didn't have to I, say that either. It was all equally unnecessary, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I, I think another director could have ended it that way. I, I right. mean, I think one very specific, you know, his writing really does not tolerate ambiguity at all. That's you know, a big thing, ev- I think. Everything has to be very specifically spelled out. And um, it's part of what makes him a great mass appeal director the way his idol, you know, Steven Spielberg is, is that he just doesn't leave any ambiguity. He just he he brings the audience in together and everyone's on the same page. And it feels patronizing to me. uh, But also, I can appreciate that that that's a deliberate decision he makes. But when you were talking about the cinematography and stuff, it feels like the same way where he wants you to know what he's doing, right? When he does a clever, cute camera trick, it's never subtle. It's always like, 
everybody appreciate this fun thing I'm doing with the camera here or Mm -hmm. with the color thing that Aaron was talking about. It's so overt. It's so unmissable that it feels patronizing to me. It feels insulting. But I I kind of at the same time appreciate that he wants to bring in it. Like he wants to make a a movie with a mass appeal, but that has an interesting premise. Um, And so I can I can I can sort of defend that decision. But it's also just it makes the movie not connect for me because it feels patronizing. I don't know about the the mass appeal, especially for this movie. You know, there are those really deliberate tricks, and it's he's very precise in all the things that he does, and that's what I really you know enjoyed about it. And there are you know subtleties there, although, and also the whole the whole movie really trusts that an audience is going to stick with because it's a it's a pretty slow paced movie. The whole whole it thing is, is really yeah. slow, and you have to sort of uh, be willing to stick with it, and that there's going to be a good. Uh, Payoff, and that that I think that that for people who really didn't like it, the 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 thing was that you know I trusted this movie to have a really good payoff, and it totally didn't. Whereas if you if you liked it, you trusted the movie to have a good payoff, and you enjoyed the payoff uh, well, and, I, the, I, and, I, the, and the experience of the movie. I think that I think that yeah, I mean you you do want it to end nicely, but. What worked for this movie for me was that just kind of the unfolding. I don't think that the big payoff at the end was a make or break moment for me personally right. in that I just really love how he discovers moments. And he does this with a lot of movies where, you know, the twist is what people remember, but he does kind of uncover great moments. Like there's um, the weightlifting scene, even though of the course. setup was really like a totally absurd and unbelievable. Yeah, this time it's like... I don't know what what <laughs> I can't tell that this is heavier. Right. <laughs> and the whole and like you know do, lifting something that's five times as much as you've ever lifted before with no one but a little kid there to save you if you drop it on your neck. Uh, I mean there's a lot of nonsense in it but but at the same there's time discovering that. that scene is fun. Or um yeah. I really yeah, liked Yeah, that was the that was the one scene I really remembered from the first time I watched it. Huh. Um that and the breaking the bones falling down the stairs cuz hmm. Yeah, oh, that like one. That, that one. God, Aaron, that sticks with me. That feel you feel it. You because because oh, and that's the, the so setup well on that is so great. The pan back down the stairs with him at the top. Yeah. Oh god, yeah, and I'm then, cringing through that whole and, thing. And, and you're hmm. you're watching him, and then he starts to try, and the shuffling of the feet as he's going down, mm-hmm. and then the minute he's st- like, I th- I'm not sure if this is right, but I think you see the glass. Uh, his glass cane. Yeah, right. which is which is him hit. <laughs> who carries why, why? around the glass cane? <laughs> right, particularly as <laughs> yeah, someone but it's who such needs a great to image. not fall down. <laughs> right, it it's is. such a and great also, image, though. You know that man might actually be really good at walking downstairs without falling by now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's, that <laughs> scene didn't work for me at all. Because what the fuck made him fall? <laughs> what the fuck was he? Is he he, he most, suddenly can't go down a set of stairs. I mean, it really He's, worked emotionally and plot wise. It did he not fell work for because me he had to. Because he, he was hurrying to chase the guy because that was so important to him. But, but no, yes, but that, that, when, that didn't when you when you see him impact on those hurrying. stairs, though, mm. when you see him impact on those stairs, you you feel it, and it is a really visceral moment in the movie. And I mean, I, I, I believe I, that you did, but I did I didn't at all. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. No. Just because well, we were so taken out by the ridiculous elements. No, I thought about the ridiculous part. The fact that he fell at all, I thought about later. Like, why? What made him even fall in the first place? But no, in this in the scene, I, it didn't capture me at all. Which is funny because the later scene where um, 
David falls into the tarp on top of the pool and gets wrapped in the plastic, I felt was really visceral. Mm-hmm. I felt that yeah. a lot. Yeah, I love that one too. Um, and also, so it's, and also, it's strange that the falling the stairs scene just didn't click for me at all. That that one that one was set up really really well too. But I mean, I'm not sure. I mean that that one had its own you know questions. And I th- I, I mean I kind of want to address like because there's a lot in this movie that you either have you're either gonna forgive and let be part of the the, the the comic book aspect of it, because right. not all comic books are logical, and not everybody, you know. They, they, I feel like a lot of the things are done for the progression of the story, I, and it works great. And I and I think that the the story carries it, and that and that that's a good reason for it. But I don't think that's because this is a comic book movie. I feel like that's how he writes all his movies. Well, that's and I I think he really did have the intention of this takes place in the real world. This is not yeah. a comic book universe. Um, right. I, th- I think you can have different different ways of forgiving those, uh, suspending judgment for whatever reason. I mean, I, I, there, there's yeah. a lot of stuff that, that, that needs that workaround in the movie, but the way the movie's done and the way the story's told is is so good that, that I'm, I'm willing to overlook. I mean, one of the, one of the things is you know, in that in the first act, the whole like, how many days of your life have you been sick, and have you never been hurt? Oh, and this gosh. is this is a question. This is a question. He's he's got he's got to like go explore and like ask it's his like, wife and ask Have his I boss. been sick? Maybe <laughs> right. my boss will know if I've been sick. <laughs> right, right, right. So like, and here's just just speaking from personal experience. Like, I don't really get sick that often during you know throughout most of my life, and during cold and flu season. I walk around with my chest puffed out like I am a superhero because I, I I really feel that like I'm like I don't get sick I'll drink off of your beer even though you are sick because I'm unbreakable um, so, I think that was the biggest fucking pill to swallow was that he yeah. got to how fucking old is he 40 years old without <laughs> noticing that he's never had a scratch on his body right for someone for someone to to have done to you know to walk walk through that many cold and flu seasons and not be a little bit brazen about something like that. Like, I mean, when I, when I do get even a little bit sick, it's debilitating. And so I realize what, what it is. And God, just all that dialogue with his wife. Have I been sick this year? <laughs> hmm. But what about last year when we were going through the exposition about where, why we're getting divorced? Right. Yeah, I mean, a part, a little bit of that is 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 a symptomatic of taking a first act of one movie idea and stretching it into you know an hour and a half. Um, is that there has to be a little bit of padding, but also just that I mean, I think that Shyamalan has so much faith in his tension building that he could just extend some scenes unnecessarily like that, and and it just. When well, it doesn't I, work, yeah. it doesn't work, and that interrogating his wife about when he's been sick didn't work. Well, Whereas other scenes that were really slowly paced, I thought did, and it was carried by the cast mostly. I didn't feel like that was padding. I felt like that was actually, I mean, actually, you know, super economical writing. But it wasn't about him being sick. It was about getting the exposition for where they are in their relationship. Was I mean, what he was writing in that scene, right? Yeah, and also, and also the where it's filmed. I mean, the, the where they in, are and relation to each other whether he's like up on the stairs and she's in her room talking like i mean i feel like the way that that that, he, that it's photographed and the way that it's that it's filmed tells a lot more about it than the actual uh dialogue mm. does that make sense mm-hmm. well it's, it's, explain how so 
just just I mean their their relationship and their relationship I think is is really well done from uh, Robin Wright Penn's side. I think so too. She yeah, was she's really amazing. great. And I felt like she was a little wasted. Yeah, but. underutilized. I totally thought that. Yeah. But I mean, or, or maybe the perfect amount, because it, it was, you know, it, it, she told a lot in the limited amount of time that she was in the movie. But from him, like, in that first scene where they show up, where they're at, the, a great, great scene, a great shot, too, that, that whole first, um, that the guy, the other passenger's just dead. He just found out that he's the only living passenger and he walks out and uh the kid puts their hands together Mm -hmm. and when they you know the kid runs up and hugs him and then he just sort of looks at his wife and she is obviously like kind of has i mean you you read a lot more of the emotion on her than you do him and i think that that's because you know the story sort of tells like he's depressed and he's sort of choking on the a decision he made and he's and he's really kid. withdrawn from the and he's really yeah, withdrawn yeah he's sort of choking of on this decision that he made when he was in college but um then he uh but if the first scene like i look at the way he looks at her and i and i think okay well maybe he maybe this is just he's in shock or whatever but then he's really really cold throughout the whole thing and really withdrawn even like when his his wife is sort of having this emotional crisis in, in his doorway. Right. Do you remember that yeah. scene? And he's just sort of looking at her, you know? You're right, and I think so, I think that the, them coming to each other's doorways is a real visual metaphor for who's reaching out to who, in what way, and in, in what moment. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, I mean, that, uh, you know, first scene in the hospital, um, I mean, really does something that he does really well throughout the thing, is to very explicitly raise the question in your mind of what the relationship and just to, to make you curious and right. to really and I mean I think he really throughout points you at the thing you should be looking for in later scenes right um, and and sets up that curiosity and that interest uh, so that when you know when he comes back to those things you're gonna know what you should be paying attention to right mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when he hands it to you, he hands it to you, really. And and I think that's what I was kind of thinking about when I said that it's it's meant more of as a mass appeal type movie. And I think this is something that's at, like inherent in a high concept film like this. Mm-hmm. Like a high concept movie is always a genre film. It always has a like a relatively unique premise, and it's meant to have a bre- kind of a breakout appeal like this. I think was intended to but that the premise has a real obvious potential, right? Like you can hear the elevator pitch and your mind can take off and think of all the different ways that that could play out or whatever. But I think that mass appeal is an inherent part of that. Yeah, I mean, was this, this was his, just his second film? It's, it was his second big film. It was his fourth, I think, film that he directed. I didn't know, I was kind of unaware of his early stuff. I think um, everyone in the world is with you on yeah. that one. <laughs> My kid's gonna go berserk. Once again, please. Uh, my son Jeb, it's a gift for him. How old is Jeb? He's four. No. No, 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 no. You need to go. Now. <laughs> What'd I say? Do you see any Teletubbies in here? Do you see a slender plastic tag clipped to my shirt with my name printed on it? 
Did you see a little Asian child with a blank expression sitting outside in a mechanical helicopter that shakes when you put quarters in it? No? Well, that's what you see at a toy store. And you must think you're in a toy store because you're here shopping for an infant named Jeb. And one of us has made a gross error and wasted the other person's valuable time. This is an art gallery, my friend. And this is a piece of art. What do you think? I'm, I'm not sure what I would think because um, I haven't thought it through very well, but let, let me set up this, this premise. Well, what if that movie had, you know, everything was the same, but it was in a different language and not subtitled? Do you think you get the same, um, ex obviously not the same experience, but do you think the same story would get told? If I was watching it in a language I didn't understand and there was no subtitles? Yeah. Give me a second. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think a lot of the good visceral moments would still come through, but no, I don't think I would be able to follow. Right. I mean, there is so many things that are being told visually as well. Sort of. I think you I think you would get uh, David's story and you would miss all of Elijah's story. Yeah. Because Elijah's whole story is, is scenery-chewing, broad speeches that just would be completely lost. And David's whole story is just standing there looking uh, upset. <laughs> right. His story is told really visually, and Elijah's story is told really right. narratively. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I think, actually, you'd probably lose a, a bit more of, of both. But just as far as the, the, the way everything um, paces, um, and the, I think the camera, once again, I think the camera tells a lot more of the story than, than anything else, and I was... I was carried through the movie on 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 that on the pacing and on hmm. the um, storytelling, and every time something popped up that didn't seem quite you know plausible t to me, I was instantly willing to forgive it and just settle back into the story. Another example is a, f a super fragile man who was called Mr. Glass, <laughs> um, and m remember, and this is a scene that probably I didn't like as much, but that the the guy is buying a. a that that uh, print for his ch child, right? And, and then I mean, I, like... I I love I love that Elijah can you know that character it becomes intimidating for the audience and everything. But like, what man who's made of glass and who breaks <laughs> when you uh, touch him stands that close to somebody and 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 basically berates him? You know what I mean? It's I, I liked he sort of had one nerve that you couldn't you like one area you really shouldn't fuck with him on which was kind of the purity of the medium. Yeah, of I, mean, I kind of thought that worked. He was he was I, going outside his comfort zone because he was actually enraged. I thought that worked. I, I think yeah because there is an aspect to his character that he really is spoiling for a fight. Yeah, even if he knows he's not going to win. I mean that's kind of the crux I of think, his character. Hmm. I think that um, character is always enraged, and that's another another part of it. Like um, there's so there's so much rage in that character. Right. And it's 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 always uh, being sub subdued, but I don't think that there is um, a, a a confrontation or or uh, you know potential for that, you know physical one on one violence. In well, him. what about the end of the movie, where he's like um, very explicitly like, "You're a superhero and I'm a supervillain. We're in a room together." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know that's something that's likely to get you punched. Yeah. But God, that the scene where he's mad about—it's just that speech is just so. I have it's, Samuel Jackson in my movie. I, yeah. I'm gonna yeah. do a Tarantino yeah. speech. I thought yeah. it, I, I thought that was a terrible. I thought Samuel L. Jackson was badly miscast 
this movie. Really? And I, I might be in the minority on this one, but I thought it. I thought that was a whiff. And 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 I read that um, that the part was written with him in mind, which is extremely surprising to me. Um, huh. I, I, I I liked him in it, but I didn't like when all of a sudden he was playing Samuel L. Jackson, and that may color the way you look at the rest of the character. But is I there guess. is there a plastic tag with my name tag on my, on my shirt? <laughs> is is there a Chinese kid sitting in an airplane that wiggles around when you put money into it? I mean, that was that did take you back to Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, and a very and, a very particular you know, moment in Pulp Fiction that he's basically just doing that scene again. It, there's so many scenes where he gets he just gets so much scenery to chew in and where he's saying something but he's saying it really like floridly and unnecessarily roundabout way that it just it didn't didn't click for me. It, 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 I mean every, every little cutesy like clever monologue was his in the movie and yeah I don't think it's a I don't think it's a bad reflection on him as an actor. Obviously, I, I I I love seeing him a little outside of his dominating, you know, furious character, and a, a, putting him in a new role and getting him outside of his kind of typecast character is nice. But I don't think this was the right one for him. Um, I I think maybe it's just that he's the guy who had to deliver all the monologues, and the monologues were just awful. They, they were, were just pretty fucking just awful. awful. Yeah. Um, it could I be mean, that. You're right. It could just be that. Any dialogue that isn't explicitly for a purpose in this movie. I mean, the dialogue was so great in that it was so economical and communicated so much, but it was so awful as dialogue. It um, really just seemed, yeah, like robotic. Like it was, it was, mm-hmm. it was dialogue meant to move a plot forward, and not dialogue meant to sound like it was coming out of someone's mouth. Except he had these sort of like unnecessarily florid descriptions of things and roundabout ways of coming at his point and stuff that just sounded like someone trying to kind of exercise their creative writing chops a little bit and not really pulling it off. Uh, I, I feel like that was the only moment that st- that struck me uh, was the was that scene where he's selling the the, the what about the what about the, the next scene where he's he's explaining to Bruce Willis like his theory of who Bruce Willis is and he's in front of the uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs, <laughs> uh-huh. and it's just like it goes and, on five times as long as it needs to. And, and the and the the ninety degrees with Bruce Willis, who seems to always have like archways behind him in every, in every <laughs> shot. Do you notice this? And I, but but I mean, I like that. I mean, I thought that that was really that just oh, God. That, that, that was hard to get through that scene. I thought it was just painful. The speech writing. about how comic books are mythic because they are drawings. And also, hieroglyphs are drawings and mythic. Therefore, comic books are mythic. I mean, it's just so... I mean, because there's such an actual good speech that you could make yeah, about why totally. comics yeah, yeah. are mythic there in is... our culture. And that's not the reason. And his, his, his logic definitely falls God, that's such Any, a, That's anything. such an awesome point, Aaron. Sorry to interrupt. You the, go ahead. The, the, and when, 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 he's, when he's talking about, uh, you know, well, I have you know this disease that makes my bones really brittle so obviously there's going to be somebody who has a disease that makes their uh, uh-huh. their their bones uh, but once once again i don't know i mean maybe i'm just a sucker for his style of filmmaking and I've, i think i've still only seen those two movies but i was like um 
That's weird. I'll forgive that. That's fine. <laughs> I, I kind of it, did, too. Um, yeah. I did, too, I think, yeah. But but at the same time, it really draws my attention to what what Aaron was just saying, that, I, that the way I would put that is the difference between this movie and the movie I wanted it to be is the difference mm-hmm. between reading a great novel and reading the Cliff's Notes, where everything is just spelled the fuck out for you because it doesn't have any faith in you figuring it out. Huh. Yeah. I mean, I get... Uh, and you lose so much of the poetry when you have a monologue where the person's just explaining the theme of the movie. Yeah, I... Yeah, I, I don't know. It can... It can... I mean, that's what Hitchcock is kind of like, too. I mean, he's better at it. <laughs> but I, I think that, that that having a very explicit, very symbolic film is not necessarily a bad thing, um... No, I guess it's more that, that, I mean, someone writing a literal Cliff's Notes book just doesn't have to care about the poetry. They just want someone to pass the test. Yeah, I feel like... And I think that's a side effect of wanting everyone to be on board with the theme of the movie, is that you just, you make it so, like, broad and explicit that that it loses some of the poetry. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, I mean, he, he needs an editor. Hmm. You know, he he needs to make the basic structure of the film. I mean, because that's what... I mean, he's so good at structure. Um, and so good at tying it. You know, it's really like a puzzle. I mean, when everything is revealed is so good. How it's revealed, how, ev- ev- how everything feels like it has meaning. Everything is so meaningful. Yeah, um, yeah. Is great. But then, yeah, he needs maybe the movie to be about something. <laughs> <laughs> or, or uh yeah can, can i build on that for a second am i interrupting you nunk oh go no go ahead there's two things i really love about how he structured this movie and i think this is something you could probably see in most of his movies one is if you're going to make a movie that has a, a reveal at the end that makes you reconsider the events of the entire movie a trap you have to avoid is the movie has to work up until that reveal the first time you're watching it, you know what I mean? Like, it has to be an interesting and compelling story even without the reveal. And the reveal just has to has to uncover another interesting story. Right. I think that Fight Club works that way, you know, in a lot of the... Mm-hmm. You know, the movies that we, that we remember as being memorable twist movies, they did have to work as movies up until the twist, too. And I think he's really right. good at that. And I think that this is a good example of it. The other is that the reveal comes a little bit... I mean, there's a couple. Obviously, the fact that Elijah's a villain is 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 a major reveal, and that this whole thing has been set up in this particular way. And there there's there's a kind of a few different aspects of of what's surprising in the third act of the movie. But my favorite one by far, and the one that blindsided me, and I think the one that I walked out of this movie the first time I saw it really relishing, was that it's not David's story. I mean, it's an origin story. Right, for a superhero, that's what—that's the kind of the what it, what it's meant to be. But when you reconsider the entire thing in the in in light of uh, of what Elijah relays at the end, it's he is he's his role in the movie up to that point is to help David uncover his hidden you know power and stuff, and and because he's kind of the counterpoint to it and his physicality and stuff. But, but what the great reveal in the end is that it's been Elijah's story the whole time. Yeah, that that definitely makes sense. I mean, um, 
yeah, Bruce Willis really hasn't had much in the way of actual agency throughout the film. Right. Um, which, just thinking of now, I mean, kind of makes the whole reluctant hero bit read differently um, uh-huh. after the reveal, yeah. which yeah. is, uh, like, going through it, you know, it's just like, ah, the reluctant fucking hero. This is so <laughs> obnoxious, obnoxious trope, you know, it's something I hate. But then, then with the reveal, it's uh, that definitely gets a new new light on it. Mm-hmm. Right, that he was really pushed into that role by someone who needed him to be that. Yeah, I think that. I mean, if, if the story wasn't a, a, a sort of running that theme of the superhero origin story, um, you know, I wouldn't want to watch the movie of David Dunn's failing marriage and his, 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 <laughs> his attempts his attempts to re- re- reclaim them, even though you know. There are, you know, compelling moments in the movie that, you know, talk about that in his relationship with his son. But I, I felt like the, the movie was sort of told from the, the in some ways, from the, the points of view of the, the children viewing it. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and there's those two, ob- like, almost twin scenes of, um, you know, the young Elijah seeing the superhero uh, and villain combating for the first time. And then at, at which point the cinematographer... <laughs> points you to a, a footnote <laughs> pretty obviously and then and then the when uh uh joseph is watching tv upside down hmm, i didn't catch that oh uh, maybe it maybe i imagined it but um the the, the you know elijah sort, sort of I, I i drew parallels between those two for whatever reason that just that the, the cinematography seemed to uh, point to those as like uh the two, the, the, the sort of young kid looking for a hero and the young kid, you know, discovering his own villainy. Bruce Willis's son and his kind of growing and confused admiration of him and coming back to terms with him as, as it plays out in the scene where they have a, he has a gun in the kitchen, as it plays out in the scene where, uh, you know, Bruce Willis has to go to the school and pick him up after a fight because the kid had thought, you know, well, maybe my dad is a hero, maybe I can take him I thought that was one of the stronger parts of the movie, and I kind of wish it had been more a bigger part of it. I love that relationship, and yeah. the, I mean, it was obviously a, a, a strong relationship. I mean, he's with him at all the really crucial moments th- throughout but the it, movie. Yeah, it's also Bruce Willis is an awful, awful dad. <laughs> and the in, in the end, where he's like, you know, it's it's like played as like this cool thing, like he's letting him in on it, but he's like, see this newspaper article about these tortured and killed women and then the guy got strangled to death i was there <laughs> i strangled him to death mr 10 year old son here's what here's what i liked about that a, a i just thought that the the subtlety of how he kind of relays that information and mm. the kind of the the payoff for the kid is really that mm. did click for me oh it, it was the, so the, well done the 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 fact that the both the parents had died and it was actually a shitty like horrible story <laughs> in like a tor- terrible thing to show your kid <laughs> under any circumstances right um, and, and they're like daddy murdered a man it actually sort of worked <laughs> for me a little bit because it, it it reminded me that crime is usually not as simple as it's made out to be in superhero movies i, I don't know like a, a superhero is not going to come in and everybody gets out scot-free Right. It's like if 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 there's like a home invasion and torture and kidnapping type of thing, it's pretty unlikely that everybody is suddenly like everything's daisies the next day. Um, right. And that's the best he could do in the real world where he has to fight real 
shitty, like, horrible, and the emotional, the emotional payoff in in that in that from that whole thing is that oh, the boy gets to be happy about this. And, but you're and, right. And, it's and, a, it's it's gnarlier than it needed to be. But I thought that was I thought the decision was intentional. I thought it was meant to put it in a little more in the real world where you uh, don't just oh, like punch uh, totally the guy is, out right before he you know kills. Because there's because there's all those other people that that you know he touches and like that you know date rapist and the you right. know other you know the there's all all the, the a bunch of other people who he's you know scanning the crowd for and he's like right and, nope, and, and there's can't, not really can't do anything about he that has to weigh the value of like well do, do i just go into a protracted like court battle against this guy <laughs> for this like one-off crime that i'm never going to be able to prove how i know or whatever i thought that was an interesting scene for that reason yeah, yeah. um yeah. well i mean my f- absolute favorite part of the movie you know was was the scene where he goes to confront the guy, um, you know, in the home home invasion, um, you know, it's just c- kind of amazingly well done in a lot of ways. Hmm. Um, but I, I love so much that you know, I mean, it's 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 following his, you know, I mean, his really big heroic moment where the score really does. I think it's the only time in the movie where the score really just goes just like superhero music, where he's scanning the crowd. Uh, there was a couple I thought that where the okay. score really was leading the movie too much. Well, well I mean, I but it might have been the tons, first, yeah. There was tons of time where the score was leading the movie, but I, I feel like that this, I mean, it was the only. I guess drowning out the movie is what time when the score was very specifically superhero music. Okay, it was, you know, it could have been in a Batman movie or whatever. Right, um, right. And then when he goes to actually confront the guy, you know, and I think we're were led by the nose a little also by i think samuel jackson telling him you know it's okay to be scared this is not a this is when it this is when it stops being i mean he pretty much literally says this is when it stops being a superhero movie and becomes the real world right right uh but then he does that so well and i think mostly by not scoring until the moment when he actually attacks him but dropping out the score and really getting a sense of fear and tension um and but a different kind of fear and tension than we've had before did you guys did you guys jump when um on that really great scene through the curtains when all of a sudden the i mean there wasn't a whole lot of uh payoff to the tension a lot of the time but when he walks through the curtains and it was really beautifully shot and then the Home Invader is all of a sudden right there. I mean, you sort of saw it coming, but that I was liked I liked where it I, where because I of, it wasn't a cut. Right. Like right. the jolt was mid mm-hmm. mid shot rather than a sudden yeah. cut. I li- I did like that, and I jumped it yeah, a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and like there's there's whole. I mean, I I was almost physically trying to peek around the curtains, even mm. when it was just Bruce Willis in there. Mm-hmm. The way it was done, that when the curtains would double over on themselves, you couldn't see anything, and then you just sort of see part of him. I like that way that was done, and then. Him sh- all of a sudden there was really good payoff. I thought. And um, Go let, let me just finish. Um, yeah, yeah, please. You know, I was pretty unsure whether I liked or not that when they did bring the score back in, you know, when the fight started, because I, I don't know, I, th- I think it would, I mean, it was definitely more emotionally effective to actually, you know, bring back the thing he's been withholding for for that moment, but then I don't think it quite works with, you know, the way that he's killing the guy is in a, you know, I mean, this not, it's not a heroic punch fight. Right. He is, you know, just on the guy's back, choking him out, like, not like you will see a, a superhero doing, and I, I think to right. leave that, 
that unscored and emphasize the reality of that moment could have been a really very different decision. I thought that yeah. too during that scene, for sure. In fact, the only times I noticed the score being absent, I liked it. And the only times I noticed mm-hmm. the score being present, I wish there was no score. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not to say there shouldn't have been any music in the entire movie, but I, I, there's no place where they didn't use it, but they should have. But there are places where they did use it, but I think they shouldn't have. And it's all, it's part of it is just kind of my own biases about, I think, that movies are use music to lead you by the nose way too often. And this is unfortunately an example of that in some scenes. But other scenes, I think it was it was courageous of him to use note music and allow the film to build tension on its own. I think he's good at doing that, too. I think that he's going to, you know, he's great at building the tension. And But, I mean, part of that is, like, the, the overall, you know, the, the, the score included. But just... Um, he is I mean I guess leading you by your nose but I mean it, it, it's just sort of keeping a, a, a really nice uh, fluid storytelling form I felt and this the sound was really great yeah I talk thought. about the sound because both of you guys immediately like right as soon as we started talking about this movie you both mentioned the sound and it didn't really jump out at me so can you tell me what 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 seemed really significant about that I mean, for me, I mean, I think it was it was it was well done, but I mean, some of it could have been, you know, leading you by your nose a little bit. But that 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 opening scene with the train, Aaron, was that the one that that you were thinking of? The, actually, when you first mentioned the sound, I mean, the first two things I thought of were, I mean, the two scenes that really stuck with me really viscerally was fall, stair falling, um, and the uh, when he's fall on the tarp falling into the pool i just love the foley sounds oh yeah um the uh, sliding down into the tarp um Mm -hmm. and i think the the, yeah sound design was a huge amount of what made those those both work so well there were a few scenes for me not neither of those i mean um where where, but it it was just sort of you know building this tension like it uh like you did in the in the train scene when all of a sudden you realize that the the train's pick picking up speed and you're like, how long has that been steadily increasing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, has it been I, going on the, the the whole scene has it just been slowly, steadily yeah. chugging faster and faster, yeah. and then everybody just starts to realize it. And then there was another scene I'm forgetting now, but there was a there was a few times when when I just thought that um, it it came out where, where where it came out you re, you realized that you know that the, the sound had been sort of subtly playing a, uh, having an effect on you know the movie and the and in the scene. I got a present for you. Why? Forget why. You want it or not? We'll go get it then. Where is it? On a bench? Across the street? Someone's gonna take it. Then you better get out there soon. I was gonna say one thing that we talked about, I think a couple of times. Or at yeah, least shut mentioned. up for a second. Hey, I Aaron. Am go- 
Let me just reintroduce this topic again. Okay, but um, I, it's, well, right. okay go ahead. I uh, know. <laughs> what do you want? What I want to do is is uh, have a b- brief break in the middle of the show where we scratch off some lottery tickets. Oh, well. Oh, and pick some numbers? I think this is a sponsor break. Oh, okay. This is what a real podcast would call a sponsor break. I have three scratch off lottery tickets, and there's three of us, so I think we should each pick one. Okay. I have Cool Nines. Our longest-running sponsor, as Aaron um, will attest. All right, folks at home, you can play along and choose a lottery ticket yourself. Yeah, sure. Like it's exciting. That. Definitely. Everything about this is exciting. <laughs> the next one is Line Them Up, which is a uh, slot machine-themed scratch-off lottery ticket. The third one is, it turned out, I even though it was, I think, discontinued, I found one, I, I had squirreled away one last caddy cash. Scratch off lottery ticket. This is the one that Aaron is perpetually confused by. Uh, it has nothing to do with cats. It's Caddy Cash, as in Caddy Shack. <sighs> so we have Cool Nines, Line Em Up, and Caddy Cash. Which ones would you guys like to endorse? I'll take the cat one. Son of a bitch. <laughs> there is no cat one. There's one that the theme is the number nine. There's one that the theme is a slot machine. There's one that the theme is golf. Uh, slot machine. All right. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I was going to pick slot machine. Were you really? Aaron, I thought you uh-huh. were a shoe-in for cool nines. You can have You can have. Well, slot I'm machine. taking cool nines. Fuck you. I'm taking cool nines. <laughs> now I want cool nines. <laughs> hey, Jesse, the Powerball is at like 600 million. Should we pick some Powerball numbers? All right. Will you guys talk about Powerball numbers while I scratch off our lottery tickets? Sure. That'll maximize our lottery uh, juju. Um, uh, Six hundred million dollars is a lot of money. Why don't we just win let's, that? Let's win that with numbers. So All we, right. we pick. Well, um, we, so the, I think you you pick five between one and uh, fifty nine, and then one Powerball number between one and thirty five. All right. Well, I think I've already established I'm picking seven. Okay. So so you pick seven. Um, you get to pick two numbers. I'm also going to pick twenty two. Two. I'm gonna pick eleven, and who had line him up? That was Nunk, right? That's uh, right. That... Yeah, you lost. Damn it! Should have gone Maybe with cool, should... nines. <laughs> May... cool nines. Cool nines is I next. Should... Maybe I shouldn't pick any of the Powerball numbers then. <laughs> no, you got to get all that um, bad luck out of your system before you pick the Powerball numbers that are definitely gonna win. Are you still picking Powerball numbers, or what's going on? It's your turn to pick Powerball numbers. Oh, yeah, we're supposed to talk about Jesse, that. Jesse, can you um, scratch off lotto tickets and pick Powerball numbers? Yeah, I was actually going to pick 42, because that was our winningest number on our scratch-off lottery tickets ever. So, so 42, and now one between uh, 1 and 35 for our Powerball number. Don't fuck it up. That's a lot of responsibility. I'm feeling like 19 for some reason. I don't know why 19 just sprung into my mind. All right, so our numbers for Powerball... Are 7, 22, 23, 11, and 42. These are terrible. And the Powerball number being 19. Oh, that's good, though. Yeah. <laughs> so someone out there, watch Powerball and let us know if we want. I think Nunk's going to watch Powerball for us. Well, I, I have to get to the store and buy it within the next few hours. So. Well, we'll see if we can finish talking about this movie <laughs> in the next few hours. Well, <laughs> Third scratch-off lottery ticket is Caddy Cash. This is the one that you guys left for me. I will scratch it off now, and 
Wait, did I win nothing? Aaron lost. I thought I said that. Maybe we were talking about something else at the same time. No, I assume that Cool Nines win. Guess what, bitches? <laughs> the cats win it? No, there's no cats. It's Caddy Cash, like Caddyshack. Well, I got three. I got because you won't get me the cats. I got three gloves. You only have to match three to win, so I won. Nice. And the prize is one dollar. Sweet thirty-three percent return. Go to hell, world. <laughs> you want to quit the podcast and just live off that? That one dollar? Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to just quit the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the daily. But uh, you know, once you start something, uh, I do have one more scratch-off lottery ticket that the three of us can share if it's a winner. But I'll save that for the end to keep the suspense going. You're really good at building tension. What else, uh, Aaron, you started to bring something up. Yes, um, something that I believe we touched on a couple of times but haven't really discussed was um, there was a lot of interesting use of uh, color in the movie. And I mean, it might be fun to get explicitly into that. I think this was one of the first movies or, you know, it was definitely around that time when this look started to work. The kind of undersaturation, a lot of color post-processing i think you know fight club came out maybe mm-hmm. the year before but you know there through the 90s there was a lot of that that really didn't work um and i, I think directors had kind of started to figure it out um that's a great insight i think it's um it's one of those situations where the where the tools are kind of guiding the development of the medium um and as you know, the software for video editing and, and doing digital video editing started to become prominent. People, of course, immediately latched onto the new surprising and, and visually dynamic things they could do with it, but they like didn't... make they everything did, yellow? Right, exactly. <laughs> make everything piss yellow. I think there was definitely four years of everything just looking like... But yeah. no one had really, like, developed a, a real craftsmanship or artisanship using it, and, and this was a real transitional moment uh, where people were able to start using them more th- those things more subtly in some movies. Yeah, I, I mean, would argue I think... that this one, in hindsight, was not very subtle. <laughs> not, not I think subtle. it was pretty aggressive, but at the same time, it was. It, 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 I think you're right that it was a marker that people were starting to understand the tools a little better. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely technically super well done, right? Um, compared to what had maybe come before. I mean, sure. I've, and Fight Fight Club also. I mean, not not. Not necessarily subtle, and it's, but pretty great. Sure. So aside from the, I mean, temporarily tabling this, the scene in the um, the train station, where everything gets really singled out as an individual color. Was there anything but, else that really jumped out at you color wise? Well, the, I mean, the I think the they definitely all the characters are color coded, and I in a way that we get when we see the couple of you know real close up comic book shots you know huh. covers we get you know the you know the hero in green the villain in purple and that that keeps coming back you know bruce willis is surrounded by green when he kind of puts on his cape it's it's green mm-hmm. um I think and that's Sandy the color that's singled out when, when it purple. goes into the monochrome um, thing i didn't draw that i didn't yeah. draw the the connection from that that main um, that that first comic that he it got. was it, it, the first one just showed the hero in green and the second one that had like the word evil on it really right. big had the the uh, villain popping out in oh, purple okay yeah and and then in the end where he's having his flashbacks yeah those are 
all the purple just puffs. Yes. Right. Um, and uh, Bruce Willis is seeing evil guys um, moments. They're all really hypersaturated. And I think all like, I don't know if they're all the same color, but a lot of red and yellow um, kind of hypersaturated that really, I mean, makes like in concert with uh, sound design and with the cinematography, there's this really nice, just like pop of uh, like right before he gets the flash. Hmm. Um, and it's, and a lot of that is just them like suddenly coming into frame, you know, much more saturated than every other, than the rest of the scene. That felt more like, you know, you know, comic booky and, and really, really super obvious to have them um, pop out like that. But it's, I don't know. It felt effective. I felt like it was effective. I, I think, yeah, particularly with that, um, that that worked really well. Um, the way that they had the the visual pop as well as a foley kind of pop when he uh, would brush them. Um, right. And in the the one that you mentioned when uh, in the closing scene when he was in purple, like in the um, the airport. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, I really like that. Like, I really like the way. Even when I watched it the third time, I, I was like, "Oh, he's here in this scene. Oh, where is he again?" And then it, and then all <laughs> of a sudden, you know, everyone else would run to the window, and and he just jumped out at you. It was like, a, right? That, I think that was an extension of the the single color motif of the train station right. scene for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and the uh, of of you know, Bruce the Willis that... finding finding a villain in a crowd. Right. Yeah. And and you know the idea that you know a superhero hero or a supervillain really is identified by their costume. Right. And the costume is usually just this big blob of bright, you know, color. And so even though no one is you know literally wearing a costume, they kind of still are. It's see that that was one of the things that just felt silly to me was in that train scene when he you know he's I I, I like the setup I like that that scene was built into the movie in the way that it was. But then he's just brushing against people, and the way you're visually connecting those people to the heinous acts that they've done is that bright color of that individual person. I, 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 mean, I mean, it's a clever way of using the visual art of making a movie to draw connections between one scene and another, but at the same time, it's just like, why is everybody wearing the same shirt that they were on the day they committed their horrible crime? I mean, I think that Bruce Willis's magic power isn't so much that he's seeing into these people's minds, but that he's seeing into the history of that shirt. <laughs> there, there, there was one one pretty glaring example of that where the guy is, you know, he's brushed yellow, I think, but actually he was wearing kind of a plaid shirt or something. And, and so his, like, uh, costume was this brightly yellow plaid every actually, yeah. every example of it seemed glaring to me like and, and they were all like like he he can just like if there's a bright colored shirt he can see all of the crimes that that bright colored shirt witnessed <laughs> maybe that is his power <laughs> maybe that was in the I second think, i think the movie holds that up yeah uh-huh. that is the absolute opposite of osteoporosis <laughs> <laughs> David, it's Elijah. It was so obvious. It was this one issue that brought it back for me. Century Comics 117. That's where this group, the Coalition of Evil, tried to ascertain the weakness of every superhero because they all have one. Just like you. Your bones don't break. Mine do. That's clear. Your cells react to bacteria and viruses differently than mine. 
you don't get sick. I do. That's also clear. But for some reason, you and I react the exact same way to water. We swallow it too fast, we choke. We get some in our lungs, we drown. However unreal it may seem, we are connected, you and I. We are on the same curve, just on opposite ends. The point of all this is we now know something we didn't. You have a weakness. Water. It's like your kryptonite. You hearing me, David? Aaron, you and I watched a movie in the theater one time called Secret Window, I'm pretty sure. Secret Window. And is that the name of the movie? It was starred Johnny Depp, and it I was a... Um, oh, the one where corn, where corn is so scary. Right. I remember that corn was really scary. We walked scary. out of that movie, and you said, here's a weird thing <laughs> about Stephen King. He's fucking terrified of corn. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And he's like, well, did you notice that the scariest moment of that movie was when Johnny Depp is eating corn? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I guess. And you're like, have you ever heard of a movie called Children of the Corn? <laughs> and there was a, uh, you, you started to draw this picture of a man who who holds the entire country in the sway of his sense of horror, but himself has the looniest fear, which is corn. Just trying to t- warn people about the corn. <laughs> I think that's kind of uh, M. Night's story with water, for some reason. Like, it's... I mean, water in yeah, signs. signs uh, the movie Signs obviously has a major plot point involving water, which uh-huh. I don't want to spoil. Lady in the Lady water. Lady in the water, obviously, he made <laughs> at one point when he was really grasping um. at straws. But then in this movie, it's water too, and it's and it's a little bit like uh, one of the questions I was thinking when I when I finished this movie was, does he actually have a weakness to water, or is he just as subjective to or you know what is he as drownable as anybody else but he doesn't have a special water weakness because the movie kind of supports both like he's like uh elijah sort of says it's his kryptonite blah 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 um and there's but he also explicitly says you are just as weak to water as i am right however he phrases it so it's like yeah he just that would be especially weak right because Elijah, Elijah is, you know, kind of across the board, especially weak. I guess he's just as drownable as anyone else. No, he just doesn't have bone protein. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, I think it's just that he can drown. I guess that works. It just doesn't. It doesn't make it his kryptonite, really. No, I mean, I think that he just needed a thing, a way for him to have tension in that scene. Right. It's, in, I mean, in which, and I don't, I don't think that worked well. I mean, it, that's. Swimming pool felt pretty shoehorned in. Well, in, in I liked in, in, how it worked. I mean, I like how it played out. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, in hindsight, it just didn't. Well, I mean, it needed to work in a few scenes too. I mean, there's, I mean, that the oscillates up and down on like sort of wanting to believe Elijah and then not believing him, and I mean that that that's part of that that whole um, part where he's in there talking to the the principal. She reminds him that he almost drowned that time, and he's uh-huh. like, "Oh right, right. That time I almost drowned that, that, and at the hospital for a week. That, that near-death experience I had as a child that I forgot about." 
Right. A lot. Of, I mean, it's again that the biggest pill you have to swallow to to like this movie is that he hasn't realized until his mid forties that he is outrageously out of sync with the rest of humanity in terms of his vulnerabilities. Um, the movie sort. I th- I think that the movie could have done a little better at this, but I think the movie attempts to address that with the accident scene with you know then his lover and then later his wife where he kind of suppresses that aspect of himself in terms of like how it makes him an extremely good football player mm-hmm. because he 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 feels like that per- part of his personality is out of sync with what the woman he loves wants him to be yeah no i think mm-hmm. that, that 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 but it just does i mean, I mean and, and i get that that was of sort of hinted at but it just doesn't play out that way on the screen and it's a little bit of you don't like think so? no i don't think it does at all i think it's um you, you, there's a there's a common trope in movies like where you just give up trying to explain something and you just say a wizard did it. <laughs> in 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 say his last name again one more time. M Night Shyamalan. In Shyamalan's movies, it feels like not just this one, but like in Signs and several other of his movies, it's he just uses love did it as a kind of a wizard did it <laughs> type of thing where it's just like right. yeah, well he loves someone so much that it, that just becomes true. Well, what do you think that the um, David Dunn's character is like? Basically, I mean, essentially drowning in, in his whole life. I mean, he's this really kind of depressed guy in his forties, and he's he's really in life choking on something. You know, it seems like throughout right. the whole movie that he's that he's just got this thing that, and I mean, you sort of learn that you know he's just sort of suppressed all of, all of this stuff to be with this woman and to be with his kid and both of whom he you know he loves but but he's but he's basically every day waking up with this sadness that is basically the, the, the thing that he's holding back from himself yeah I, I, I think that that was pretty I mean came across pretty well in the movie yeah. but, uh, you know it was uh, I mean I don't think it I think it was kind of dumb and kind of <laughs> I mean the oldest dumbest cliche is you know dude gives up his you know young sports career because i guess his wife she never did explain her weird irrational hatred of football (laughs) she she explained it to elijah yeah right she she doesn't want to she doesn't want him to be involved in something that's the purpose is to hurt other people it rewards you the more i guess like that part works but at the same time it's like none of that explains away like i mean i have cut my fingers and hands thousands of times in the last two years you know like it doesn't explain away like never noticing until now that you're literally invulnerable to normal like i don't think it is like that he's completely invulnerable and obviously i mean during that scene that i think he says i've never got a scratch here's the thing too is is that 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 after the weightlifting scene and then especially after the his kid holding a gun on him scene both of which I thought played out pretty well as far as the movie is concerned. But just if I was going to try and invest any sort of realism in this character, the next thing he would probably do is walk off with a gun and like put the gun to the back of his hand or just take a kitchen knife and at least try, for the love of Christ, right. at least fucking find out. You know, right. why? I mean, that's who in the universe could live with that mystery without at least testing it, you know, right. about their own body in, 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 the, in the world of like the I mean, I still am looking at it like a comic book movie. But um, 
like in, in that, I think that that was the weightlifting scene. That was him, like, to, uh, pu- pushing all those limits. That was him. But he never know, found exploring. the limit. Like, you have to know where the line is before you go out and try and solve crimes or whatever. If you want, yeah, if, 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 if a movie's based on what logically normal people would actually do. But, <laughs> and, yeah, but that's the whole already, premise of the movie is it, that, that's people, that people in the movie are acting that way, right? They're not I, acting. I kind of do feel like so. this is supposed to be superheroes in the real world. One of my favorite yeah, scenes, I, by the way. I think it those fails are, to do that. Th- those two are probably my two favorite scenes in the movie, though. The, sure. the ones, the ones with the kid, the the weight bench and the um, the scene in the kitchen. Sure, testing the limits, right? Because yeah. they're really human. Because those those are scenes that play out the way they. Well, I mean, aside from obvious nah. problems, <laughs> it, it, they're they're driven by the same sort of mentality that you might have if you found yourself in that situation all of a sudden inexplicably at 40 years old <laughs> right yeah it, it, what one one thing i was just going to point out on that on that last one was that i mean when he's a kid and when he's a football player i don't know what his understanding of that is but in that scene i mean he does literally rip the door off that that car <laughs> right. and then haul haul her out and then so it's at on some level you have to know that he had some understanding of uh what he was capable of doing at that point and then uh, and then suppressing and it then, because of love and right. then suppress and then and then a wizard suppressed it for him <laughs> and, and and then it takes him a, you know all these years to sort of you know unlock that power and unlock that that, that memory of, of it but you i honestly i mean there there's a, a lot of it and a lot of sort of what we've discussed is like I mean, I still really feel like it's a really well-told story. I think the sound and the cinematography and all like play really well to to do it and and put me in a place where I'm ready to f- forgive those things. And also, I am seeing it more like a you know a comic book origin story that isn't always you know people doing the most logical, reasonable thing that they might do at that time. Sure, but it's it's annoying when a movie promises you that this is how it would play out if it happened in the real world, and then still takes those same shortcuts that comic books do. And it's kind of like, why did I bother then? You know, if right. you're if you're gonna cut those same corners, then might as well just make it magic. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I I understand what you're saying there. Yeah, I'm I'm probably halfway between you guys. You know, sometimes I could get the suspension of disbelief going sometimes i could yeah mm. yeah um, there's one other thing i wanted to touch on and it's that um is it, 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 if we're done with that one i mean i'll just say i was i was even when it came up and it was pretty obvious that there was some some weird disconnect or uh for me i was really happy to let it go and i was really happy to i mean this this happens a lot with you know different movies find find that reason Right. Like dig in, dig into the movie and be like, well, this is why, and and I mean I don't like it when movies you 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 have to you know explain that that through, but I felt like every other part of that movie and the the and the the craft and the movie making was so great that it that it just carried me through those scenes. So I, I was I was willing to make those excuses every time sure. they popped up. Yeah, I mean I'm definitely bad at meeting the director halfway you know i'm not a charitable audience member right. um and it's you know it's not easy to just give a movie a real charitable rating and uh that definitely you know makes me have less fun at the movies <laughs> right 
I think the only meaningful litmus test of a movie is how it makes you feel. And I think that, you know, finding, like, logical inconsistencies or, like, overt, like, audience, like, playing into the audience's expectations. and Like, a lot of the stuff we talked about here, it's really secondary to whether the movie made you feel the way it did. And obviously, like, it connected with you in a way that it didn't really connect with me. And a lot. I'm, of, I'm also someone. Yeah, go ahead. Who is mad? Who gets mad when the movie tries to make me feel? <laughs> right. I mean, it has to succeed in spite of itself to, in a certain way. Because, um, without, like, like when a movie like shows its cards and shows you how it's doing what it's doing, it takes you out of the moment. You know what I mean? It's like a, it's like a magician yeah. doing a trick, but telling you how he's doing it the entire time. It takes a lot of the magic out. Well, of let it. me say, it's a movie that. I think that wants everyone to have the same emotional response. Yeah, yeah. That that really has a single and succeeds really well, I think. But you know what your emotional response in each of the scenes is supposed to be, and it and it does a pretty good job of giving you that. But you don't necessarily feel like it's your your emotional response. That's a hundred percent. That's a hundred percent my problem with it, and and it's a hundred percent a great insight into it. And uh, it's Shyamalan's. Uh, obsession with Spielberg, I think, carries through in that way. Like, a Spielberg, I think, he unified his audiences in that way in their reactions, and you lose something in that. You lose something in when you're really leading your audience that way. Huh. That's, that's, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, I still like them. I mean, I don't feel like I have to be dragged kicking and screaming to emotion at a movie, <laughs> like like Aaron seems to. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to let myself go there because that's that's p- part of the experience that I'm going for at, at a, at a, when I go to see a movie right where is this gonna where is this gonna take me but it, it's it sounds like that's that's discounted if if you think that the the creator got you there cheaply or or that that I don't know I'm, I'm, I'm I guess I'm not sure exactly what your uh, what your problem with that part of it Spielberg is. is guilty of that same thing too, and I think he's he's brought that to popular movies in a big way, and then a lot of directors have taken that from him, and it's good in the sense that like it brings audiences together, and it's good in the sense that it makes a movie like universally uh, appeal, it brings a universal appeal to the movies, but it takes. Great art has a lot of subjectivity in it, and I think that when the more you explicitly take the subjectivity out of a piece of art, the the more you kind of defang it. That could have been dangerous, Joseph. Why don't you go upstairs now and let me finish up, okay? I'll take it off. I'll help you write. You think you could have beaten up Bruce Lee? No. I mean, if you knew karate. No. What if he wasn't allowed to kick and you were really mad at him? No, Joseph.
How much did you take off? I lied. You had it? How much is it? 270 pounds. Let's put more. Okay. There's some directors where you really hear the director or writer-director's voice in the characters in the in the movie that they've made. And it's not just in the lines, but like in the actual, like how someone handles their line readings and stuff. Like Aaron Sorkin, obviously, is a big example of this. And Joss Whedon is like this, too. Like you sort of start to get the sense of how that person talks or, or how that person wants these lines to be delivered because they are channeling themselves through the actors in their movie. After watching a, a, enough Aaron Sorkin movies, I could probably tell you quite a bit about his, <laughs> right. <laughs> what, right. what's go, what specific events might have gone on in his life. Right, and it's not just like how he writes it, but it's actually how the actors deliver it is really sure. driven by yeah. it. And I think one of my favorite things about this director is that you can see that it's obvious like it's uh, many of his characters speak the same way and act the same way and come from the same like similar perspective um and it's that he really loves driving them to the extremes of experience and then finding like a calm center in that right you know there's a lot of like intense and 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 huge and and emotional scenes in this in this movie and in many of his movies but no one's yelling and no one's fighting and no one's screaming and no one's running around and breaking glass and 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 he loves like bringing people to the brink of what they can deal with and then finding the center of the character in that in that moment and and it's a little overt and it's a little hard to believe in some moments, but at the same time, it's really nice to see a character who's just like pushed to the fringe of what they can deal with. And they are just like speaking calmly and, and deliberately and slowly and um, and directly. And they're saying exactly where they're coming from. And it's and it's actually kind of nice. I, I really like that. And even though I don't really... That's also something Bruce Willis does really well. Yeah, I well. think so too, definitely. And is kind of known for his, you know, in his action movies. Right, and... I think there's no, there's no, it's no surprise that after Six Sense, uh, he, he cast Bruce Willis in his next movie as well, because he's a really good, um, he channels that really nicely. And it's funny because I actually don't really come away from this director's movies feeling a real human connection to his characters. I really don't. But at the same time, I think he really like finds a way to find that, and 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 I love that his voice is so not bombastic. He li- he likes to make really incredibly intense and dynamic situations, but he likes to find the kind of quiet humanity in each of his characters in those situations. I really like that. Yeah, and I mean, I've only ever seen, I've only seen of his movies. I think Unbreakable and uh, The Sixth Sense, so both of the Bruce Willis ones, but. In both of those, it seems like uh, the main character is, you know, disconnected in a way from right. from from the, the emotions of, of all of of what's going on around him. So, like when Robin Wright Penn's character asks him, or "Do you intentionally uh, distance yourself 
and put, put yourself at a distance from Joseph and I, you know, that, that could be the audience asking that question of him sure. in movies as well, you know, because he, he, there, there, there is that. And part of the reason I think that w when the movie was over, that I was more disappointed that uh, Elijah didn't get his epic battle. Like I really wanted him to get what he what he wanted out of that. I mean, <laughs> he, it, it, it would have had to end with him dying or going to prison, but I really wanted him to have some sort of, uh, you know. Yeah, again, it, yeah, it really felt like the end of a first act rather than yeah. the end of a movie, and I guess it was. I mean, that's yeah. right. Jesse was saying. Here's the thing about that movie: I would, I, I didn't love it. It had lots of problems that really kept me away from connecting with it on an emotional level. But at the same time, well, if a sequel came out tomorrow, I would be the first in line to see it. <laughs> right. Uh, it's it's a it's a testament to how good he is at, at that kind of high concept. Here's a great, interesting thing, like, idea to chew on. I think both of you at least once have said, well, that was well done, and I was willing to forgive that. Which, which, I, is, I which willing... isn't a great for uh, 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 <laughs> no, a great it's, it's a, of a you, movie. Yeah. <laughs> Every every movie you see requires some suspension. Yeah, he's he's an amazing craftsman. Um, so many parts of movies he does so well, other parts not so well. I totally see how someone could love that movie. I mean, it's it's just kind of something that's not not quite for me. I have one more scratch off lottery ticket. This was bought for us uh, as a gift for the show nice. by our mutual friend Henry Henry Babcock. Nice. This is a. He's the person who first showed me this. Movie. This is <laughs> so fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that shout out took a sour turn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> woo! Two dollar scratch off lottery ticket called Tattoo, and I will scratch the entire thing off now and figure out whether we won any money or not. This is nice. for all of us. All right. So if anyone else wants to donate, you know, I'll swear at you too. <laughs> also, as soon as we're done here, I'll go out and get a, a lottery ticket. 7 11 19 We're going to be millionaires. It's a good thing because I've already spent half the money. I already crashed the speedboat that I'm planning to buy. <laughs> <laughs> Reveal three like amounts and win that amount. Uh, give me a second. Nope, we have two $40 and two $500, but not three of any, tragically. All right, well, we're going to have to just rely on Powerball to <laughs> <our numbers. laughs> Aaron, thank you so much for doing this with me. You are welcome. I appreciate every time you do this with me. Nunk, thank you so much for... You, you went above and beyond. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now that we know who you are, I know who I am. I'm not a mistake. It all makes sense. In a comic, you know how you can tell who the arch-villain's going to be? He's the exact opposite of the hero. And most times, they're friends like you and me. I should have known way back when. You know why, David? 
because of the kids. I've got Aaron here, and we're going to talk about the next movie we're going to do. Uh, the next one we're talking about is a movie called Brain Scan. Uh, what the hell year is Brain Scan come out? I'd say mid-90s, right? Yeah, it looks like 94. I think if just by watching the trailer, I think you know that it came out in the mid-90s. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm actually not 100% sure which movie it is, because there was... Two of them. There's two movies called Brain Scan? No, no. There was two uh, killer video game movies around that time. Um, and I watched them both, and now I don't know. See, that's funny, because I th- I'm 95% sure I've seen this movie. But yeah, a similar thing, where it's like, that was sort of in vogue at that moment, and it's just every movie kind of seemed like hackers for a little bit. Or whatever. Every movie in the 90s just kind of that was targeted towards teenagers kind of had that super bizarro 90s vibe, and they all just mushed together in my mind. Yeah, I think, I mean, when was uh, Lawnmower Man was probably the... I was just thinking about Lawnmower Man. I'd love to see that movie. (laughs) Watching the trailer was... uh, It hurt a little bit to watch. Like, I was cringing pretty hard at how awesome <laughs> I thought that was at one point in my life. I don't know if I saw this one at a point that it wasn't ironic. I may have only watched it later. Oh, okay. I mean, there was definitely a point where anything with video games in it was just so cool. Yeah, definitely. I'm really looking forward to BrainScan. I should also mention that um, BrainScan is our first uh, listener request movie. We're fulfilling a, a listener's uh, request. That's a terrible precedent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Having listeners, I agree. Oh, yeah. It's, oh. The, it's the worst thing we could do. I guess I didn't really ask him if he wanted me to say his name, but it's, uh, it's uh, a friend and listener uh, named Jacob who uh, just thought this would be a fun one to revisit. He said it's one of his guilty pleasures. I think it might be a good fit for us. She also mentioned we're going to be recording with Josh Millard again for this upcoming episode. Uh, Josh was our guest on the willow episode and we had so much fun with him uh i was looking for every every opportunity to get him back with us because uh he's a great guy to talk to about these movies yes (laughs) (laughs) so check out brain scan and uh come on back uh in two weeks to listen to that episode uh as with every movie i try to collect links to different ways you can watch the movie before you join us and we hope you do so and come back for the brain scan episode. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks, Aaron. Nah, but, nah. See ya. <laughs> See ya. <laughs>